I think if someone were to ask me, what does the average Canadian think about faith and religion? I'd probably say that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. I've heard that phrase so many times now that uh, every time I hear it, I, I, I want to stop and, and ask the person whether they've really thought that through. And yet it, it is very, uh, a commonly held belief here in, in Canada. doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. I'm not sure if you've heard of the, the baby throwers, but when I hear of it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere, I, I think of, of, of uh, them and others like them. It, the baby throwers is not a technical term, but there's a group who practice a 700-year-old religious ritual by which they take one- and two-year-old babies and toss them down from a 50-foot tower to, onto the sheet of uh, some, some men who are positioned at the bottom who are hoping to catch them. The idea is, and the belief is, that, uh, that by doing this, the children will grow up stronger smarter, and luckier. I, I guess if they catch them, they're, they're lucky, and if they don't, they're maybe not so lucky. But I think if we were to poll the babies and ask them, do you think it really doesn't matter what you believe? I think they'd say, no, it, it matters. In fact, it's life or death for them, right? It matters what you believe. Uh, another group uh, believes that everything emanates from God and nothing is evil. As a result, they hold that everything is sacred. Nothing can be thrown out. And they treat everything, even what we would consider to be garbage or uh, decomposed matter, everything is sacred. So much so that they eat the corpses of their followers, believing that in doing so there is some uh, spiritual uh, value that they are bringing to themselves. Does it really not matter what you believe as long as you're sincere? Sorry for the interruption. Due to recording issues, a portion of this sermon has been cut. The sermon will now pick up at point 1A. Please continue listening. Abraham is our father. What they're doing is they're pointing to their religious heritage. They're pointing to their, their religious pedigree. And they take pride in it. The Savior of the world is standing before them, offering what they most need, and they're like, don't you realize who we are? Don't you realize where we come from, like what we've got going for us spiritually? You're treating us like we need to be rescued or something. Don't you get who we are? Don't you know what I've, what I've got, what I've, where I've come from? And I feel as I read these words that I have seen this conversation about a thousand times. I see this all the time. You will look at the scriptures uh, together with someone and you will see it becomes clear what those scriptures clearly teach. And at the point where those, the teachings of the scripture conflict with someone's heritage or background, they'll throw up their hand and say, but I'm Methodist, or I'm Baptist, or 
I'm Anglican, or I'm Catholic, or I'm, or, or I'm Orthodox, as if, as if that settled the problem, as if that had anything to do with what God has spoken. And so what you see in the passage here and what you see in Scripture is that sometimes those things that we cling to about our uh, religious or spiritual heritage or history can actually get in the way. They can become an obstacle to the truth instead of something that leads us to the truth. And so we need to examine our, our lives and our, and our background. If Satan's main preoccupation is creating counter, counterfeit beliefs, we should, all of us, carefully examine what do I believe with what has God said in his word? And here's the thing. If your religious heritage is more important to you and has, it gives, it takes more loyalty from you than God and his truth, then what does that say about your faith? What does it say about who you are and what you're really committed to? The people Jesus addressed not only didn't examine their heritage, they didn't examine their morality. In verse 41, they say, we were not born of sexual immorality. They're, they're talking about the purity of their, their childhood, their upbringing. It, there are probably two things going on here. One of them is that they're, they're taking a stab at Jesus. They're, they're slandering him. They knew that there were some rumors circulating about his birth because of, because of the virgin birth. There were some people that said, I'm not sure he's even Joseph's child. I think there might have been some, some, something going on. And so when they say, we're, we're not born of, of sexual immorality, they're saying, like, we, we've heard that there's some strange things about your childhood, Jesus. And we're not like that. So that's the second point that they're, they're, they're trying to make here. Not only are they making a jab at Jesus, but they're saying, you know, we've got, we've got a pretty pure background. We've got a pretty upright moral standing. And they say that to Jesus as if to say, and as a result, we don't really need this thing that you're offering. We're kind of exempt, surely. We've had a pretty pure, pure life. We're pretty good people. Today, this is one of Christianity's most popular counterfeits. One of Christianity's most popular counterfeits is the idea that this Jesus thing and the salvation thing and forgiveness, maybe that's important for really bad people. But as long as you're a good person, then surely God should be lucky to have someone like you in heaven. As long as you've lived a a pretty decent life, and you haven't committed any awful crimes, and surely God would just die to have you on their team. And so the idea here is, as long as I'm a moral person, I don't need what you're offering, Jesus. And again, it's a counterfeit belief that'll keep them from the truth. And it keeps millions of people from the truth today. Do unexamined traditions have a place in your life they don't deserve? 
Could they be, actually be an obstacle from, to you hearing what God wants to say in your life rather than a help in processing what that is? Now, there's a second test of our beliefs in this passage, and, the, and, and it's this. Does God's truth have the place in your life that it does deserve? Does most of what you believe rely on what you've heard, how you feel, what people say? Does, does it rest in those things, or is God's truth central? Is, is the word of God central? Does God's truth have the place in your life it deserves? Now, we've already seen that the people Jesus addressed were proud of their religious heritage, their moral upbringing. They felt that they were in God's good books because they were sons of Abraham. But in verse 40, Jesus says, But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. He wants them to see that, that what they're claiming is inconsistent with what they're doing. He's saying if this religious heritage you have is all that you think it is, you should be eager for the truth that I'm giving you. As it is, you want to murder me to shut me up. How could that be? What went wrong? True faith should make us more receptive to God's truth. True faith should also make, make us more receptive to hard words. It, willingness to, to hear things that, that differ with, with, with us and, and, and correct us. In verse 43, Jesus asks, Why do you not understand what I say? Interesting what his answer is. It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are unwilling to receive it, therefore, it just doesn't make sense. You won't take it in, and so there is never an ability to put it together. In verse 45, he adds, but because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Now, this could just be me, but looking at the state of our world today, I think that we should be very, very suspicious of any religion that tells us that we're just in full agreement with everything you already believe and there's nothing really to correct. I think that should make us suspicious, don't you? Like, if God were to come into our world and see the real state of what is happening in our world today, I would be very surprised if God's words were to, to look out and to say, I think you guys have got it pretty much figured out. Uh, uh, there's pretty much nothing for me to say. Uh, I think we should be very suspicious of that. I, I think that we should question when, when God is, is portrayed as always agreeing with us, never correcting us. In fact, I believe that true faith should lead us to be more receptive to the hard words. The people Jesus addressed couldn't bear to hear him correct them. They wouldn't have it. They would rather kill him than allow him to continue to correct them. And so the question that we need to ask is, what place does God's truth have in your lives? Do you allow God to speak from his word into your heart and into your life? Do you, are you willing to receive the hard words? Or 
do you agree with the Bible in general, but just try and avoid a lot of the specifics, particularly where they disagree with you and want to correct you. Anybody heard of the tone-deaf diva? There was a movie done of this, but the, 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 the name is Florence Foster Jenkins, and she inherited some money in her 50s that enabled her to fund a musical career. She would hold annual recitals at the Ritz-Carlton in New York in the 1930s and 40s. And in 1976, she performed before a sold-out crowd at Carnegie Hall. People flocked to hear her sing. But Florence Foster Jenkins couldn't quite figure out why that was. She didn't quite understand why she was so popular as a, a singer and a performer. She was so bad as a singer that as she would sing, people would convulse with laughter. Like people would, would be crying and, and they would be cheering and whistling and howling because she was so bad that it, you just couldn't help but laughing, laugh at her. The, the review after her Carnegie Hall performance, one of the, so the New York Times refused to even comment on it. It was so bad. But one reviewer wrote, Mrs. Florence Foster Jenkins has a great voice. In fact, she can sing anything but notes. She indulged last night in one of the weirdest mass jokes New York has ever seen. Unfortunately, the tone-deaf diva didn't get the joke. She didn't understand why people so in, seemed to be having such delight at her performance. She thought it was because of her singing. She thought it was because she was so good. But it was actually because she was so bad. Now, I think we would all agree, despite the, the sold-out performance, I think we'd say, boy, that's awfully unfortunately, unfortunate that she couldn't hear the bad news. I, I think we would say it's pretty unfortunate that when people spoke words of correction and had some hard things for her that she couldn't receive them. I think we'd say that. And yet I think the question that we really need to ask is, is it possible that I'm a tone-deaf diva spiritually? That I'm really not all that open to hearing words of correction from the Bible? I'm not really open to, to listening where God would speak things that, that disagree with me, that correct me, that point out things in my life that I really need to change, need to deal with. Are you a tone-deaf diva spiritually? Does God's truth have the place in your life that it deserves? We need to test our beliefs or we end up deaf to truth. Now, the final test this passage gives for our faith is, is this. Does Jesus have the place in your life that he deserves? Not just does his truth have the place in your life in your, that, he de, that it deserves, but does Jesus himself have that place? Often what can happen is that people will cling to religious heritage. They will claim and own a religious label. But as you drill down to what the content of that faith is, often 
even if it's a Christian label, Jesus can be on the sidelines. Jesus is just not that prominent in the life or in the beliefs and in the daily commitment of that person. Jesus is on the sidelines. And if you claim to follow Jesus Christ, if you claim to be a Christian, if you claim to have him in your life, then that would seem awfully strange that Jesus would be on the sidelines. Does Jesus have the place in your life that he deserves? It's clear in Jesus' interaction with his detractors in this passage that false faith seeks to silence Jesus instead of hearing him. In verse 40, Jesus says, but now you seek to kill me. Can you imagine, can you imagine coming to the point in your life that you were so eager to shut someone up that you would actually plot their murder? Can you imagine that you would do that with someone that was actually coming to rescue you, coming to help you, coming to heal you? It's incredible, but that's what happened. In verse 46, he says, If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Their sincere beliefs had become so distorted that when they heard truth, they wanted to shut it up and reject it, to turn it around and keep it as far from them as they possibly could. And yet they couldn't point to anything he had done wrong either. In verse 46, he asked, which one of you convicts me of sin? He's saying, if you're going to reject me, surely you would have some basis for, for doing so. Surely there would be something that you could say, well, yeah, Jesus, you're kind of a bad person. And you, you did. They didn't have anything. In fact, as we get to the end of the Gospels, you, you see Jesus brought before these mock trials. He's brought to the Sanhedrin. He's brought before the high priest. He's brought before Pilate. And while they ask, ask many questions, what's clear is they're not able to find Jesus guilty of any crime. They want to give him the death penalty. They want to crucify him, but they find him innocent. And when Jesus hangs on that cross, there is a wooden plaque above his head. And do you remember, you would, when, when they would crucify someone in, in, in the Roman Empire, they would put the person's crimes above their head to show why they were killing this person, why they were executing him. And, and it would be a warning to others around him. Do you remember what they put on the plaque above Jesus' head? Yeah, King of the Jews. No crime. He was found innocent. And it becomes a testimony not to other people, but to the sinfulness of the human heart that when truth came, when salvation drew near, that the counterfeits that the devil has produced in our world are so strong and so believable that people would resist them to the point of wanting to murder someone to shut the message down, to silence him. Maybe as you read this passage, you think, I get it, Paul. I, I understand what's going on here, but I'm not like these people. I kind of like Jesus. Like, he's a pretty good guy. I, I don't really, 
I don't think I would have tried to kill him. I'm, I'm generally positive on him. But let Jesus' own words test your beliefs on this point. When I ask whether Jesus has the place in your life he deserves, I'm not just asking whether you tolerate him, I'm asking whether you follow him. I'm not just asking whether you accept him, I'm asking whether you love him. Hear Jesus' words in verse 42. If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. What he's saying is that if their faith was really from God, then they should be thrilled at the coming of Jesus because he came from God. They should be thrilled at the coming of Jesus because he came bringing forgiveness. They should be thrilled at the coming of Jesus because he came offering salvation. They should be thrilled at the coming of Jesus because he came holding out truth to them. And yet they didn't have room in their heart for Jesus or for his message. They were locked in a counterfeit religious system that made them want to kill Jesus instead of receiving him. Does your faith stir in you a love for Jesus or just a tolerance of him? Do you follow him or just accept him? There was a time in my life when the love for Jesus that this passage speaks of would have felt and sounded very strange to me. My faith was mostly in myself. Truth was whatever I decided was true. But at a certain point in my life, I began to wonder whether there was a God and, and, and specifically, whether that God had revealed himself. Because I was of the opinion then, as I am now, that if all religion is, is people talking, or talking, sharing their opinions about things that they really don't know much about, there's not really much point to it. If God hasn't spoken, if there isn't truth to be believed, then we're really just sharing our ignorance. I looked into a lot of religion and saw what seemed to me like just human tradition, just ideas that people had made up. But as I came to Jesus Christ, as he's revealed in the Bible, I saw in his life and his death and his resurrection evidence that convinced me that he was and is who he said he is. The God who had come into the world that he had made, and become a man that he might live the life that we should have lived. And then die the death that we deserve to die. And that he had done that so that all who would turn from their own way, turn from the lies, turn from the counterfeits, and put their trust in Jesus Christ alone for, this, for salvation, would receive a gift from him. Would receive a gift of forgiveness and eternal life because of what he had accomplished on the cross. In repentance, I turned from my sin and trusted my life to Jesus. And as I did that, I experienced a forgiveness that I had never known. I experienced acceptance. I experienced the power of God to change, 
Yes, I heard his correction, but I came to see how much I needed that correction. Yes, sometimes his truth was hard, but I realized how much I needed that truth. His presence in difficulty, his faithfulness in trials, hope, peace, and the rest that he can only give. Those things fostered in my heart a love for Jesus. Not just a tolerance of him, not just a check on the box that I, I maybe I'll, I accept his existence, but a, a deep love for him and a desire for more of him. Having tasted something of what Jesus can accomplish in a person's life, a desire for more and more of what he would do more of his life in mine, so that his life became central to what I understand about my life. I think that's what he's talking about in this passage. And unfortunately, a lot of religion can blur that. It can, it can keep us from seeing that. And it can keep us from accepting that. I believe it does matter what you believe, even if you're sincere. There are things we can sincerely believe that will keep us from the truth. And there are things that we can sincerely believe that will actually lead us to hell. The, the stakes are that high. While there's a God who speaks truth into our lives in an attempt to rescue us, there's also a devil, according to Jesus, who manufactures counterfeits who's creating forgeries all the time, so desiring that we would hold on to them instead of receiving the truth that God would speak. So don't be a tone-deaf diva. Test your beliefs. Examine what it is that you're holding on to. Look at your traditions and your heritage and the things that you hold dear. Ask whether they're drawing you closer to the truth or farther from it. Ask whether they're making you more faithful to the scriptures or less. Ask whether they're deepening your love for Jesus or somehow dulling it. Because the truth and, that he offers is so precious that for us to resist or ignore it in favor of tradition in favor of counterfeits that would get in the way, is to miss something that he wants to do in each of our lives. Let's look to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for speaking truth into our world and our lives. Thank you for the scriptures that are alive and living and active thank you for your gracious correction. We need your truth. We need your wisdom. We want you to guide us and speak to us even when the words are hard. Even when it would be so much easier to look for your affirmation. Help us, Father, to discern the lies that would keep us from you. Help us to examine what we believe and why we believe it. Give us a heart to trust what you say and follow when you speak. 
and deepen our love for Jesus and all he's done for us. For we ask you in the name of the one who is called the way, the truth, and the life. In Jesus' name, amen.